Let's dive into this thing, shall we? We have, uh, we have some ideas that I'm going to be sharing this morning that I am just absolutely pumped about. Um, you know, there's some ideas, some sermons that you go into where you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's good, good stuff. But then there's some that you speak on where, you, where it's just in you and it's coming from the center. Well, I feel like this morning is one of those for us where uh, the Lord has some really beautiful and I think maybe even challenging things to say to us this morning. And I'm not saying that um, to, to say, this morning's going to be awesome, get ready, like student ministry style, right? But instead, I'm saying, let's be young adults this morning who lean in and who right out of the gate expect that the Holy Spirit's going to go to work on us. Uh, let's lean in. For those of you who take notes, I want to I encourage you, do that um, and expect for the Lord to speak to you, to challenge you, to encourage you, um, because we're dealing with a very, very important idea and section of the Lord's Prayer this morning, because we're in week four of our series, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, a number of you have been here throughout this entire series, but uh, throughout this series, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus, and one in particular says, Lord, uh, teach us to pray. And Jesus doesn't go to him and say, uh, bro, just wing it. Just pray as you feel led. You know, when you get a burst of inspiration, follow that. But instead, he lays out this prayer that he says, when you pray, pray these words. And it's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that I, I, we've continued to uh, say throughout the course of this series that Jesus both described the way that we ought to pray through this prayer, and he also prescribed it. He said, this is the way you ought to pray, both word for word and um, in their ideas and their concepts and their principles. So this morning... We're in week four, and uh, before we jump in, let's uh, prepare our hearts and let's make space, as we always do, and let's give the Lord the first word this morning, and let's be still and sit before the Lord and center ourselves in his goodness and in his life and in his grace, casting every care on him, for he cares for us. So let's be still and be silent for a moment, people of God, and wait upon the Lord. it's helpful, maybe just take some deep breaths. Some of you have been running so fast, working so hard that you've forgotten to just breathe properly. Just breathe, rest. Jesus is here this morning on the journey with us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This omnipotent God who could have chosen to be distant, could have chosen to not create us at all, and yet you created us, and you didn't leave us to our own demise, wind the cosmic clock and let humanity tick till the end, being distant from them. But instead, you drew near to us. And you continue to draw near to us. And we say thank you. Thank you that we can come. Thank you that we can have the audacity to believe that you're with us. 
God, thank you that we can journey through life and be convinced of the fact that in the myriad of states of soul and situation, you are here. You're speaking. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You're with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And when life is good, you're the one who makes us lay down in green pastures. And you're the one who leads us beside still waters. So be our all in all this morning, we pray. And Holy Spirit, we ask that as we look at these ideas found in your scriptures, these ideas of the kingdom that Jesus was so focused on throughout his whole ministry, would you go to work on our souls? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you build us up? Would you even provoke us to new levels of kingdom living? God, that we may walk with you. We may love you with the entirety of our hearts that all of us wholeheartedly, holistically may be yours. Come, Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And would you instruct us in the way that you desire this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. I grew up as a musician. And as a musician, I was that kid in high school who was in choir. Okay, I expected some laughs there. Thank you for not laughing at me. I actually got fellow choirs in the house. Yeah, I was in choir for a few years, and, um, and you know, it would have been great, but every single year in choir, there was this one kid who I stood next to because we kind of did it in alphabetical order, and I'm in the C section, right, Caldwell, last name, and I'm standing next to this kid for three years, and uh, everybody else is sounding great, and it's just this symphony of voices that is clear, and that's pure, and that's moving, and there's this one kid every single year who was notoriously flat, <laughs> where every single freaking week, you guys, we would be as a choir, you know, hallelujah, and he'd be the kid, hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, and everybody, you're like the... You get, the, you get the face going on, like, who is that? What? What is that? And the kid's just going for it strong, and everybody, what? And he would throw things off every single week and every performance we would have, because when it comes to choir and music, there's this thing that we called, uh, that we call consonants. And it's when sounds go together in the way that they ought to. The harmonies are tight. The music is sweet. Things sound as if they ought to sound. But then there's something that we also uh, refer to as dissonance, where things are not how they should sound. There's that one little flat note that just throws everything off. And if there's dissonance, then things do not align with the way they ought to. Well, in uh, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prescribes to us, he begins by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, which we looked at in our second week of the series. And then he goes on and says, Hallowed be your name. We looked at this last week. And it's this phrase that reminds us that our life is not about our life, but that the honoring of the Lord and his personhood, his name being uniquely and supremely exalted and respected, is the supreme goal and end of our lives. In the 17th century catechism that we looked at. What's the chief uh, end of man? It's to what? Glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so then Jesus shifts the prayer 
And he turns the, the entire prayer on its head when he uh, prescribes to us the words, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the prayer was sweet and the prayer was great to his Jewish listeners at that point. And then he says these words, oh, and the Jews are all in at this point. Because Jesus, in speaking to his first century Jewish audience, uh, these Jews heard this prayer and they was going through this filter um, of this, this ancient idea about God, that this God, this Yahweh who had made himself available and gave them the law and gave them the prophets was the God who they had this firm conviction based on the Old Testament at large that this God was uh, completely in charge and in control of all creation that he was the king, he was the sovereign, the only sovereign, that every single molecule in the existence of humanity, past to present to future, was under the control of the sovereign God. And yet, there was this equal conviction that they shared that things were not as they should be. That God was still, though everything in control, and we're not going to get into the problem of evil this morning, But though everything was in control of this sovereign God, there was still work to be done on the earth. And things were still to be restored and reconciled, and all was not as it should be. There was dissonance. And there was this conviction that though they lived in this period of dissonance, where there was the flat note of suffering going on, where sickness and wars and rumors of wars and persecutions, things were not as they should be, but they still believed, these first century Jews, that though there was dissonance, the king of the ages would restore all creation and turn the dissonance that is piercing to the ears into this beautiful shining consonance that all creation would partake in, in the life of the world to come, that Jesus comes And in the middle of these convictions, in the middle of these ideas of dissonance and, and, and fog in the human estate and all creation at large, Jesus comes and, and prays these words and invites us to pray these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And, uh, and really, this, this phrase serves as the very heart of the Lord's Prayer. And this entire prayer is a prayer of partnership with God, where as we pray it, we're partnering with God's work upon the earth in some ways. But especially this prayer, the, the center, the heart, the grand theme of this prayer, your kingdom come, is the bullseye of the entire Lord's Prayer that we ought to give attention to. And so he gives these words, your kingdom. Now, I think that, that, the, that the term kingdom has, has been and currently is incredibly misunderstood uh, conceptually. We look even at church history. The ancient Catholic church um, thought about it as the, uni- the, the unity between church and state. Right, you got the emperor, uh, and 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 Christianity in the first century is an illegal religion, uh, and they're they're persecuting Christians, and Nero's setting Christians on fire to light his dinner parties. I mean, like insane persecution. And then all of a sudden, Christianity over the next couple hundred years becomes the state religion, where now the emperor is the head of the church. And they saw this, this uh, instead of division, but this continuity between church and state uh, as this beautiful thing, that this was a manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. 
Then you fast forward and you see the Middle Ages, the medieval Christianity. They viewed the kingdom as the Crusades, right? They viewed the kingdom as overthrowing and bringing all people, especially the Muslims, under this lordship and this reign of the Catholic Church. And if you're not for us, you are against us. And they'd embark on crusades and do just horrendous, horrendous acts in the name of God misunderstanding of the kingdom. And then you fast forward even until now, I think we can think of the kingdom in this ethereal kind of way. What, what exactly is the kingdom? I don't know, bro, but I know it was important to Jesus, so maybe we'll understand it someday, but just the kingdom. Okay, we'll, we'll move past that. Let's get to the promises, right? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And the kingdom is just lost in our modern Christian language, where I think there's a lot of confusion as to what it means, and we, we, we assume, both historically and in the present, that it is something that it's really not. So I think we've missed the mark with what the kingdom is. Um, well, the kingdom, it, it's this Greek word, uh, basileia. For those of you who study Greek, it's, it's a beautiful word, and it's this, this verbal noun used to describe God's ruling, Now, track with me for a second. We're not going to like totally break down this Greek, but it's important because this term kingdom that Jesus is speaking in this context, but also the mark of his ministry at large. If you read the gospels, what is Jesus all about? He's about the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom is near. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. The kingdom this, the kingdom that. Matthew 5 to 7, the servant on the mount, is all about kingdom living. And it's Jesus and his mission to to call people into this kingdom life. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Well, the kingdom, Basileia in Greek. Uh, Note, it is not an objective noun that says it, it's this, this quantifiable, tangible substance. It's this actual territory um, of kingdom, like maybe we refer to it today. There's, a, there's you know, a, a king who has this land, and that's his kingdom. But instead, it's a verbal noun. And so we can draw the conclusion that kingdom, or basileia, when we break it down, is ultimately this. Uh, it's the domain of God's rule and the territories of life that are under his lordship. That really cuts through the fog, doesn't it? When we think about the kingdom then, it's not this otherworldly weird thing that we can't really wrap our heads around, but it's simply the domain under which, over which God rules, that God exerts his reign and his rule and his sovereignty over these territories. That is the kingdom, God's rule. Now Christ's rule as the exalted son. And so praying this prayer, then, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, it, it, we ought not to feel like it's spooky or ethereal or, man, I don't, I don't really know what I'm praying here, but instead it's the simple prayer, God, just as you rule in heaven, your holy habitat, the place where his revelation says there is no tears, there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is no suffering, in the exact same way that you rule in heaven, your holy habitation, so let it be on earth. Extend your rule on earth. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in perfection as it is here in heaven. It's this crucial, crucial prayer. And when we study this prayer, uh, I'd like to argue this morning that there's two primary shapes that the Lord's Prayer takes when we uh, put them on our lips and when we begin praying them. The first is it's the petition for the kingdoms of this world to be brought under the rule of Jesus Christ. 
The petition for the kingdoms of this world to be brought under the rule of Jesus Christ. Uh, In other words, this very public expression of the Lord uh, extending his rule upon the earth. Um, You know, we see things like shootings, school shootings. My God, the, 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 the rate in which school shootings have increased. Lord, have mercy Uh, We see suffering. We see corruption of government. We see abuse of power. We see all of these broken things that cause dissonance to our Christian souls, to our kingdom souls, who know in the deepest parts of our souls, this is not the way things should be. This is evil. This is wrong. Things do not align with the way things ought to be. Jesus, let your kingdom come is the only natural prayer we can pray. In the same way, God, that you rule in heaven, in perfection, and in life, so rule here on earth. And so we look at these things, and uh, we can, uh, all we can do sometimes is to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And really, when we look at this, uh, this was the bullseye center of Jesus' ministry. When we boil the ministry of Jesus down, uh, it comes down to not just him forgiving our sins, though that's a nice byproduct, and not just him ushering us into the afterlife eventually, which is another nice byproduct, but it was him instituting his kingdom here on the earth and extending his lordship over all creation. And he was constantly, again, like we talked about, hearkening this idea, the kingdom is here. Luke 17, 21 in particular, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is among you. You Jews have been thinking that the kingdom was about this messianic figure kicking in the door in human history and overthrowing the Romans or overthrowing Persia or overthrowing Assyria or Babylon. But I'm telling you right now that me in my incarnation, through this, the kingdom of heaven is among you. It is with you. And Jesus was all about this kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, God's rule. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is extending his rule where there's no more sorrow and there's no more suffering. He is making all things right. And upon Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, now scholars have, uh, have pointed out that we live in the time that we now call the now and the not yet. For those of you who have heard that term, where Christ has inaugurated his kingdom, Christ in his ascension ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and was made king over all creation publicly. And so now as king, he has his inaugurated kingdom here on earth that is carried out and expressed through the church. And yet that kingdom is not fully realized because we don't have the audacity to say that there's no sorrow, right? We don't have the audacity to say yet that there's no sickness. Uh, We don't have the audacity to say that there's no wars or or any other horrendous thing that happens in human history. We we would be lying. We would be uh, dishonest if we said that that was the case. And so now we're, we're living in this tension, and it is a tension, of the now. Jesus has come. He has delivered us. His kingdom is here. And yet we live in the not yet. And all through Jesus' ministry... The signs and wonders he performed, uh, the healings, the miracles, uh, resurrecting a couple people from the dead even, proclaiming the kingdom. These were all, and I want you to pay attention to this because this is important. These were all signposts of the kingdom. They weren't just things to prove his lordship or that he was the Messiah because we see miracles all through the Old Testament, right? But instead, they were signposts of the kingdom, 
Imagine you're in Denver, right? Let's say you took a trip up to Denver, you're hitting up Ikea, you're chomping on some Swedish meatballs, you're at West Elm, you're wherever, okay? You're up in Denver hanging out, Torchy's Tacos, whatever. There's so many good places I could throw out. Sushi Den, oh, Lord have mercy, come on. You're in Denver, okay? And you're driving back down home to Colorado Springs. Well, there's a point in the journey where you pass a sign that says Colorado Springs this many miles, right? 20 miles, 30 miles, 10 miles, whatever. But it says Colorado Springs, the home, the end destination is this far away. Well, that is exactly what the miracles of Jesus were in his ministry. They were signposts that says the kingdom, it's here. It's coming. We're close. So the, these healings and these, uh, you know, uh, uh, excursions of, of like miracles and, and the, these demons that are being cast out, Jesus is saying, look, these aren't just to show that I'm this cool Messiah, but the kingdom has come. It's 10 miles away, people. Buckle up. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst, and the fully realized kingdom will be happening soon. Signposts. And so now as we live and as we pray for people, And as we pray the kingdom, we are praying that the kingdom, in the same way that it's in heaven, would come, that the signposts of kingdom life would begin to show, that everybody who comes in contact and sees a miracle here, and sees healings here, and and, and sees uh, some response of salvation here, these are all signposts in which we can see, wait a minute, the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is being realized. God is at hand, and it's this now and this not yet. And you know, in this shape, this kind of corporate um, praying that the kingdoms of this world would be brought under the lordship of Jesus, this shape of the prayer. Um, sometimes it's the best prayer we could pray, and sometimes it's frankly the only prayer we can rend from our lips. Uh, and JC and I had, had an example of this yesterday, actually. It's a heartbreaking thing. Um, JC and I are in the car. We just got groceries, and we're, and we're driving, and Ezra and Rush are in the back seat, and we're going home, and we're on Lexington and Union, and we're like five blocks from our house, and we're ready to unload groceries and all that. Well, uh, we're turning left on Union, and the light's green, and we don't have the right-of-way, so we're waiting for cars to go by. Well, on the right side of the street, this guy starts walking across the street, jaywalking, like weaving in and out of cars and all this stuff. He's walking, he's walking. He gets past this uh, stretch of traffic, you know, going westbound. And then he goes behind our car and he starts weaving in and out of cars there. And then all of a sudden, 10 feet away from our car, this guy gets hit 45 miles an hour, pedestrian, flips, JC sees the whole thing, flips over, face on the pavement, just out, unconscious or dead on the spot. We don't know. And it's, we, we started panicking. JC's like, babe, 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 oh my gosh. And I look, I didn't see the thing, but, but JC's like, you know, yelling in my ear. And we're, we're just, oh my gosh. So we turn, and, and I pull over, and I throw my hazards on. I immediately call 911. I get in touch with a responder, and we're talking, and I'm turning over my shoulder, talking to, to this, this person on the phone, uh, explaining what happened. Immediately, there's like four or five people gathering around this guy. Uh, I can't see him anymore. I have no idea what's happening. And eventually, long story short, there was enough people there. The fire truck came, blocked off uh, the road. Uh, we end up driving away, and... I hang up the phone with 911, and what the heck do you do in a moment like that? Just utterly helpless. There was already people there. I could have gone, but it just would have been overly saturated, and I had two boys in the car, and what do you do? 
Well, the only thing JC and I could do was pray this prayer. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done in this man's life as it is in heaven. Kingdom life in his body in Jesus' name. In the same way that there's healing and resurrection and life in heaven, so let it be done in this man. And we've been watching the news. We have no idea even still what happened. If he's alive, if he's in ICU, um, you know, the staff and the volunteer team here at Young Adults, we just prayed for him uh, pre-service. But what do you do? Sometimes the only prayer you can pray, oh, from the gut, your kingdom come. When there's dissonance and when there's suffering and when things are not as they should be and when there's disorientation and when there's misalignment and when deep in our souls we know that this is not right, sometimes the only prayer that we can pray is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, O God, on earth in this situation, in this person's body as it is in heaven. Petition for the kingdoms of this world to be brought under the rule of Jesus Christ. But there's a second shape that this prayer takes for our lives today. And that's the petition for our own kingdoms to be displaced and to come under the rule of Jesus Christ. The petition for our own kingdoms to be displaced and brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, every rogue area that's in darkness... Every area that we kind of white knuckle and like to keep to ourselves, be it an unhealthy relationship that we know we need to cut ties with, uh, be it a hidden sin or a habit that we've just let fester and we've kind of grown apathetic towards it and let it linger, uh, but anything, selfishness, pride, you name it. These rogue areas in our life, the Lord's Prayer helps us to pray those and bring those under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we, we can't just pray it and not do anything about it. There has to be action. You've got to say no to that sin. You've got to cut ties with that relationship if it's unhealthy, and you know that's the right decision to be made. But praying this prayer, oh, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Overthrow the kingdoms, the rival kingdoms in my soul and in my life that have set themselves up against your lordship. Overthrow them, displace them, and bring them uh, under your lordship. And so when we look at life... And this journey of faith through this lens, the way we live really takes another shape and gets clearer. Because obedience then is us living as faithful citizens of the kingdom. And it's us accepting the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are king and I'm going to serve you and you're the one in charge. You have the first and last word of my life. But then as it relates to sin we see a completely uh, different and really challenging and convicting shape to it. Because sin then, in this context, in the, in the context of the kingdom, is not this cute thing that we can just let kind of sit in our lives. Oh, it's taken care of, whatever. Jesus paid for us. I'm just going to live the way I want to live, and it doesn't really matter. But instead, I want to I propose to you guys a challenging thought here, and we'll put it up on the screen. Um, sin, in the context of the kingdom, is mutiny, and an establishment of a rival kingdom, an instatement of ourselves as Lord, and an attempted overthrow of the rule of King Jesus. When we willingly engage in sin, and when we say, you know what, I'm going to live the way I'm going to live, it is mutiny against King Jesus. It is taking his kingship 
and, over, and, and seeking to overthrow it. You're not going to win, by the way. None of us are going to win uh, when it comes to trying to overthrow King Jesus. But it's us saying, you know what? Um, your rule and your reign is not welcome here. I'm going to live the way I'm going to live, and I'm going to set up my kingdom and my reign and my rule, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I am king over this situation. That ex- that's exactly what sin is in the context of the kingdom. It is mutiny. It's an uprising. It's an overthrow. Uh, you know, we see it with the pirates, right, with the ships, and, and you, they take over these, these ships, and they, they, it, it's, it's, you know, they overthrow that ship, but then they overthrow the captain, and there's mutiny against the captain, and all these different things. We can insert a thousand different examples. But sin is mutiny. It's the shirking of Jesus' lordship and saying, you know what, uh, your kingdom, you keep that over here, I'm going to have my kingdom right here. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And, you know, anytime we get into this territory, I've heard so many times, oh, that's moralism, bro. Hey, we're saved by grace through faith, right? And, and, and you know, we can, we can kind of live. It's all covered. We're all good. That's more. Don't tell me about how to live. That's moralism. And, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, obviously. It would be heresy for me to say otherwise. But uh, faith in Scripture is not mental assent about Jesus, but faith, actually, in the New Testament framework, check this out, it bears uh, a very uh, integral part of speaking of allegiance to King Jesus. Where if the climax of the gospel is Jesus being exalted as king over all creation, then faith, yes, is trust and belief that Jesus is the Son of God, but it also bears with it in this New Testament framework a, 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 a part of allegiance, that our entire lives, our allegiance is the Lord's. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to stop there. I'm not going to go so far as to say if we're uh, living this way or this way or this way, uh, that this or this or this will happen. You read scripture for yourself. I think there are some pretty heavy warning passages that speak of the dangers of engaging willfully and consistently and perpetually in sin. But I'm saying all this to say that sin... And obedience then take on this new light where the way we live is important because we're living under the kingdom and the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ as faithful citizens saying, yes, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Yes, on this earth. Yes, in my friendships. Yes, at my school. Yes, in this city. But in my life as well. So let it be with me. Overthrow the rival kingdoms the mutinous attitudes of my heart that seek to usurp and overthrow your lordship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this prayer, as we study it, we really see that this is the linchpin of the entire Lord's Prayer. It's the the bullseye, the center, arguably the most important element of the prayer. Because if we pray... uh, primarily and exclusively about our stuff, our needs. We're going to get to daily bread and forgiveness and all that stuff next week, provision from the Lord. But if we only pray, God, I need a job. God, I need more money. God, I need a relationship. I just want to get married. Oof. Lord, help with this, help with this, help with this. Those are worthwhile requests. But if, if our prayer life only entails this, then we've missed the mark. And we, be, and we begin to assume that, that the Lord's uh, activity in our lives is about building our own kingdom, when in reality, we are citizens of another kingdom, the one true kingdom. And so when we say, let your kingdom come and your will be done, first, 
Before I pray about my needs, but first you be exalted. Lord, let your name be hallowed. You be glorified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Well, then our needs are set in their appropriate context. And we don't assume that our life is about our life, like we talked about last week. And we don't assume that this thing is about the building of our own kingdom. But there is another kingdom present, and that's here, and that's being actualized, and that we as the church get to help in revealing to all creation and the broken world around us that there is a king, and his name is King Jesus. And there can be citizenship of another kingdom that ends in life in the world to come living and reigning with Jesus Christ over the new creation. And so this morning, uh, there's a couple questions I want to ask you as it pertains to this prayer. First, are we asking for the rule of God to be extended uh, in our spheres of influence and in our earth? Do we see a shooting on the news or do we see, uh, you know, suffering around us? And do we just say, oh man, that's a bummer, desensitized? Or does our hearts groan and we say, oh God, let your kingdom come. Jesus, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You extend your rule over this area of brokenness, the public. But also, are there areas of our lives that are living in mutiny? Are there areas of our lives, kingdoms of our lives that we've either built up intentionally or unintentionally and we've let exist in competition with the one true kingdom? Are there areas, kingdoms in our lives that need to be displaced and overthrown? And so the response this morning to this prayer is to take this word and this prayer on our lips and to pray it over our circumstances and our situations. Frankly, I think it's the best prayer we can ever pray pretty much summarizes the ministry of Jesus, summarizes God's plan for the earth, all of it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But are there areas in us where it needs to be done first? So let's quiet ourselves. And let's think on our lives for a second. And you know, if you have already recognized what we've been discussing, an area of your life that's rogue, an area of your life that's a rebel running around doing your own thing on the streets of the kingdom, then just bring it to the Lord. Our God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love, as the psalmist says time and time again, this testimony of the ancients of old. Bring it to him. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That it would be done in our spheres of influence, that it would be done in our friend groups, that it would be done in our relationships, it would be done in our desires, in our thoughts. It would be done in every part of our lives and that any rogue and competing and rival kingdoms would be overthrown and displaced in the name of Jesus for the sake of Jesus. And Lord, at the same time, we step back and we say, let your kingdom come on this earth. God, we are disturbed at the violence. We are disturbed at the suffering. We are disturbed at the corruption. We're disturbed at the depravity and the brokenness that our world shows. And we ask, Jesus, would you be king over it? Would your sovereignty be actualized? 
God, would you be the one who extends your rule and your reign of a kingdom that's marked with life, of a kingdom that's marked with justice, of a kingdom that's marked with grace, of a kingdom that's marked by peace and hope and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let that kingdom come on this earth in our lives and let your will be done as it is in heaven. So Lord, I pray that as we discuss these ideas and we internalize them, would you teach us, continue to instruct us, make them concrete and help us to find and see a way forward that you're beckoning us to. How does this apply to our lives so that we may be more faithful citizens of the kingdom of God? Let it be done, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, We'll enjoy your time of discussion. Nuance it, break it down, make it real, make it practical, and we'll pick this thing up in just a few minutes and pray this prayer together and wrap up. All right? Much love to each and every one of you. God bless you as you discuss. All right, everybody. Wrap up those conversations, and when you're done, if you could stand up on your feet. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together uh, as we dismiss. Continue to get this in us, um, practice it, and internalize everything we've uh, just discussed together. So let's pray this in faith together. Really mean this. Dig in uh, and pray this from the depths of your soul. Here we go. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.